Hey, my name is Rob, and I uh, was wondering, if you ever noticed how awkward greetings can be? Especially if someone were to come up and say in front of you and not say anything for like 60 seconds of silence and, and not do anything. You'd have to be here last week to get that one. That's all right. Uh, but have you ever noticed how, uh, like, even though it's a, they, we have some normative social conventions that sometimes it's, it's hard to know what, what you're supposed to do, especially if, how many times you've met somebody or how long you've known them, there are even some subtle differences in how women and men greet each other. Have you ever noticed that? Not to play just to stereotypes, but come on, you know, women who have known each other a little bit longer uh, than, than others, sometimes they'll greet each other with a, hey, you know, in a hug. And it would be a little weird, I think, to see a couple guys do that. I mean, maybe they're really good friends and they've known each other for a long time. And they could, guys are more kind of the go in for the handshake, do the thumb twist into the arm wrestle grip, and then the pat on the back. You know, we've got our own little system. Now, I think we do have kind of a baseline greeting that we typically use in our culture. We extend the hand for a handshake. And you'd think, a handshake's pretty simple. I mean, that's easy. Most people kind of know about that. Not too hard to mess up, right? No, you'd think that. But anybody who's given enough handshakes know that handshakes are not simple at all. You ever get the dead fish grip when you go in for yeah, there was an audible, first service, there was an audible, ugh, you know, <laughs> dead fish grip, that's terrible. Or you ever go in uh, and you short somebody, so you just grab their fingers? That is, the, that is the worst. Or you shake somebody's hand and they've got the, oh no, you never let go grip, you know, and you're like, this person, I mean, we're going to have a whole conversation before they let go of my hand. It's like, stop squeezing me, you know, just let me go, man. You know, that's enough. We'd think something so simple, you know, would, would, be, would be easy to do. No, you got to hit the web of the hand with a handshake. It's got to be firm, but just squeeze it once, shake it once, and be done with it. Like, that, that's it. And, of course, then you travel, travel the world. There's all kinds of different greetings. There's ways that people uh, interact with each other. I spent a couple months in Ghana when I was in college. Anybody uh, been to Ghana before? All right, cool. So first service, the same thing. So I'm going to teach you the Ghanaian handshake. All right. When I came back, uh, back into the country, I realized I would find myself going to do the Ghanaian handshake with people, and they had no clue what was happening. So it made things all kinds of awkward, uh, and it was great. But here's what they do. Uh, Ghanaian, sometimes it starts with a handshake. Sometimes there's not even a handshake. you get got some chieftains that will get together, and they will, uh, what they do is they snap their fingers together. All right. Not like they do this at the same time. They actually snap their fingers together. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to try this out right now. What you do is you take your thumb and your middle finger and you place it on the other person's middle finger and they're doing the same thing to you and you snap off. You know you've done it when you hear a snap. So sometimes you can incorporate, so spend more time, like don't pull off of each other. You're not pulling off of each other, but you're actually snapping Ah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool, and you can incorporate a handshake into that. I'll teach you some cool moves after, after the service. You didn't know you were getting that today, did you? Now the next time you're in Ghana, you'll know just how to greet someone. You can impress, uh, you can impress your friends. There's all kinds of different greetings when we go throughout the world. Did you know that there are even some greetings that the Bible talks about? Hey, here's some ways that you should greet, with you, greet each other. Uh, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, there are four different times where he writes to churches and he says, you guys should greet each other with a holy kiss. 
You ever ever done that in church? Hopefully nobody kissed you when you were coming in this morning. Uh, at least nobody you didn't want to kiss you, uh, you know, as you're coming in this morning. But that's not something that we're going to give a shot uh, this morning. But he said to greet each other in a specific way. Uh, maybe you came from a uh, church, liturgical high church uh, background, your faith tradition, and you remember having a period in the service where there was a passing of the peace. Anybody had that experience there? Okay, so you would go up and you would say, hey, peace be with you and also with you. And you'd share in that moment even during the worship time. And that comes from Paul, for example, uh, introducing a lot of his letters by saying grace and peace to you. Even Jesus will use this greeting with, with his disciples, particularly a few weeks ago we talked about how after the resurrection he showed up in a room and said, hey, peace be with you. This is a greeting that they shared. Uh, we see even through other c- countries and cultures how this holy kiss and sharing peace with, with each other, like if you were go to some European cultures, you would get the double kiss, you know, on either side of the face and stuff. Maybe you've seen it in TV and movies if you've never, never experienced it, but how that's incorporated into, into things. There are different ways that people greet each other and interact with each other. And there's something significant about the Bible and how it calls us to greet each other as well. In the ancient Hebrew language, when they would say hello to each other and goodbye, they actually didn't have a word that was specifically for this. They would actually say one thing for both hello and goodbye. They would say shalom. So if you were a part of the Israelite nation and you were Jewish, you would walk up to someone and instead of saying, hey, man, you'd say shalom to them. And if you were heading out, you'd say shalom. to. And sometimes there were special days and special circumstances where you would add other words into that, but they would say shalom to each other. And that word is what we often translate in the Bible as the word peace. There's something very specific and significant about how God called his people to interact with each other that dealt with a foundation of peace in their lives. And it's something that impacts us as Christ followers as well. The word peace appears over 400 times in scripture. But it isn't just reduced to a form of greeting in life. It also refers to a state of being that is considered to be reflective of God's nature and how he wants to interact with us and how he calls us to interact with each other and the world. When we use the word peace, we're normally talking about the absence of conflict. Like we're, we're thinking about, man, I want to go somewhere that gives me peace and quiet. So we think of maybe a remote beach in the Caribbean where we think of, some of you are like, oh, yes, or maybe a cabin in the mountains or a tent in the state park, or if you live in a house with more than one person, maybe it's your bathroom, <laughs> you know, to be able to escape from people and have a moment of peace and quiet. But peace, particularly the kind that is described throughout the Bible, isn't a form of escapism as much as it is the way in which we're called to engage with the world around us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In Hebrew, the word is shalom. In Greek, the word is irene. And they're both interconnected with each other because of the historical context of peace and shalom and peacemaking that God calls his people to. It means peace. It means completeness. It means harmony. It means wholeness. The activity that is in keeping with being image bearers of God is making peace. 
And it doesn't just reflect a relationship that we have with God as a result. It is reflective of the character that is evident in someone who is a child of God. And as you read through the Old Testament and you read through the New Testament, there are three main areas in which shalom is important to God. Nature, that was the first thing that was, was broken and messed up by our sin. And so you would go to someone and say, hey, is your father doing well? And the word well there is actually shalom in the text because they're saying, hey, how is, is your father in shalom? Are they doing well? Are they in harmony? Are they in completeness? Are they whole? Because if not, then things like hospitality laws and those kinds of concern and care for each other would come into play. And so you would want shalom to come into that person's life. It deals with our relationship as human beings and how we interact with each other, where it's like, hey, are you in shalom with someone? Well, just not being at war with someone didn't mean shalom. It's like, oh, well, we were fighting, but now we've stopped. Yeah, but did you actually deal with the conflict, and are you talking to each other and you have you reconciled, and you are back in harmony with each other, that's what it means. And of course, there's shalom with God as well. The relationship that he wants to have with us is separated and is broken by our sin, and that's not okay. And he sends Jesus to take care of that. And in a world that's broken by our sin, there are both ample opportunities to seek peace in the world around us, and there are also ample opportunities to not feel at peace because of the broken world that we live in. The way in which we interact with our environment and our bodies is an opportunity for peacemaking. The way in which we interact with our neighbor and our enemy is an opportunity for peacemaking. The way in which we anticipate our hope of eternity while we're living here on earth as it is in heaven is an opportunity for peacemaking. I love this quote from N.T. Wright. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. See, I'm concerned sometimes that as Christ followers, when if all we're thinking is, hey, we've finally punched our ticket to heaven and we're good, and all we have to do is wait for that hope and God's going to take care of everything in the end, we miss how God has called us to experience even life in a broken world. With God, peace is not simply the end. It is the means by which he calls us to conduct ourselves. Have you ever had anybody give you a peace offering before? Sometimes it's flowers, sometimes it's baked goods. I always appreciate baked goods, for the record. Uh, cards. You know, some sort of thing that it's kind of to make everything better, at least start the conversation of reconciliation. Now, see, I've, I've, never, I've never had to deal with that with my wife. Like, I, we've never been in conflict or anything where I've had to get a peace offering for her. You can ask her after the service. She's right there. Right, honey? So we're, yeah, we've never fought or anything like that. But I have noticed that with our kids, one of the things that they do uh, is they bring peace offerings to settle and resolve conflict. Now, their motivations are a little bit off because they really just want their punishment to end. <laughs> right? I, I want to be able to play video games or I want to not be grounded anymore. And so they'll do things. They'll, they'll be sweet and they'll write notes. Uh, this was completely unplanned, but last night our oldest daughter walked up and handed me a song that she had written and this was part of her peace offering for some things that we've been working through. You know, she's our first kid, so she's the one we're making all the mistakes with. And, and we're working together and stuff like that. But she had written a song, and it was beautiful, and it was cute, and that was great. But can you imagine if I had looked at her 
and her effort at making peace with me and bringing this offering of, of peace to me and said, you know what, that's great and all, but I, you know what, we'll let God take care of it in the end. We'll let him sort it out. And if, and if you and I miss that in this life, that one of the results of following Jesus is for us to be peacemakers and, and to pursue this type of shalom, this harmony, this wholeness, and this completeness that God wants to see in this world, that we kind of act a little bit like that. That if all we do is, is think of peace as a, an avoidance of conflict or the absence of conflict in our lives and we don't take the opportunity that we have to pursue reconciliation or deal with conflict that's there, if we just say to the other person, it's like, man, I just kind of wish they would go away. I don't have to deal with them anymore. Maybe they're at work or maybe they're in your family or, or somewhere, somewhere else that I don't want to have to deal with that anymore, then maybe that will make everything better and that's not at all how God calls us to deal with with peace in our lives. Some of us don't feel free to experience peaceful lives because we live within unresolved conflict. And that's not what peace is. It's not escaping conflict. It's pursuing resolution in the face of conflict. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Part of following Jesus, being a Christian, and that means walking the way that Jesus walked, talking the way that Jesus talked, is, a pers- is us pursuing holiness in this life. And one of the effects of that is peace. It's harmony, it's completeness, it's wholeness as image bearers of Christ. It means that when we are wrong, we make a real apology. You guys know what I mean by a real apology. I, kn- I know you do. It means that when we're right, we don't lord it over other people. It means that when we're wronged, we turn the other cheek. We don't go to war with the other person because to do so recognizes the peace. To turn the other cheek, it's recognizing the peace that God has made with us and shows the Lord to others. See, to be at peace, one of the things we have to recognize is what we're at war with. And notice I said what and not who. See, I get it. As a Christian or maybe just as a normal human being, you're going to be in positions in life where you've got an enemy for some reason. And who knows why? Maybe you know why it came about. Maybe you don't know what's there. And sometimes it's just a reality of life. But the enemy for us, the person is not who we're at war with. The Bible speaks very clearly on this, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the evil that is introduced into the world by sin. When we don't feel at peace, we're often primarily concerned with who we're at war with. I mean, think about it. We live in a culture in which the word frenemy exists. Some of you maybe have never heard that word before, but how shallow of a culture are we where we're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with just be constantly in conflict with this person. The only who... When it comes to being in conflict with that mattered for us was before you and I became Christ followers, and that was with God. That was the only war that mattered. And yet he is the one who could have stayed at war with us that pursues peace with us and thus gives us the example of what it looks like to be a peacemaker in this life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, Paul writes, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more... Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, the person that offends me doesn't rob me of peace. The person who insults me doesn't rob me of my peace. The person who's 
gossiping about me doesn't rob me of my peace. Because my peace and your peace isn't sustained by the circumstances and events and people that are around us. Our peace isn't dictated by the enemy or our enemies. Our peace exists because it's bestowed upon us by the one who makes us whole. This is one of the foundational things that Jesus reminds his disciples of before he leaves, before he ascends back to heaven after his resurrection. He's preparing them for his crucifixion. He's preparing them for his resurrection, him going to heaven to prepare a place for him. And in John chapter 14, he has a long conversation with them about how they are going to accomplish the teaching and sharing of the gospel throughout the world and how he lays this foundation down. In John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, he says, all of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus knew that in this life, peace would be elusive. He knew we would have distracting people. He knew we would have distracting circumstances, distracting events. He knew that we would get inside of our own heads and not allow ourselves to experience peace. And he says, this is something I'm giving to you and leaving with you. And if you know anything about church history, you know that Jesus' disciples, they were exiled, they were executed for following Jesus. They didn't experience the kind of peace that we think about typically, this absence of conflict, nice beach with the waves lapping on the sand. No, they didn't get any of that. And yet Jesus said, and he promised, I don't give like the world does. I don't give something shallow. I don't give something temporary. I give you something that's permanent and that will empower you, and it's peace through the Holy Spirit. See, with this form of, of Jesus' shalom farewell, as he's repeating this peace to them, is not just a sentiment. He's introducing the work of the Holy Spirit in the one who's given their life to Christ. The person and work of the Holy Spirit as advocate and counselor indwells us to make our reconciliation to God complete. It enables us to experience and to feel free to have peace. The peace that Jesus gives us reminds us of what is true about who makes us whole. And when we pursue that peace, recognizing that he's given us the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit within us is to sustain that peace, we'll be free to experience it. His peace brings about the wholeness of restored relationships with God. It brings about the peace of interpersonal reconciliation with the community of believers and the world that we live in. And maybe it's not so much that we need to adopt an ancient form of greeting and farewell and start saying shalom to each other. Maybe it's not we need to go back to the 1960s and peace out, you know, to each other and say peace. But maybe, maybe if we pause and consider the character with which God wants to approach circumstances and people in our life is by peacemaking, we'll start to experience it in our life. Uh, for me, several years ago, and I know this sounds cliche, but my pursuit of peace led me to a literal mountaintop experience. Um, I took part in a two-year uh, deal called Rhythm in 20, 
And uh, I ended up, and so this was uh, trying to work on developing a balance of work and life and all, all of kind of that kind of stuff. And it led us to Crested Butte, Colorado. You guys, anybody ever been to Crested Butte, Colorado? It's a lot of ski country. Okay. So it's absolutely gorgeous if you've been there. A lot of mountains in the area. We were not there during ski season. And so uh, we actually went hiking at a place called Showfield Pass. And it was, it was incredible and it was great. I had no idea what we were getting into. I thought, oh, you know, around here you just take a hike. You're walking through the woods, even the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, it's not, not anything. But you go up there and you got all these switchbacks and stuff. So you get... You get finally to the foot of this mountain where it's going up. It's a bunch of scree, and you got to scramble up on all fours. And, and I get about uh, 11,500 feet, or about to 12,000 12, feet, actually. Um, and I think, oh, I'm kind of done. Only 500 feet more, and I would be at the top of the mountain that we were climbing. And I thought, yeah, you know, the view here is pretty good. I'm tired, and I'm exhausted. And I'll just kind of chill out right here. So I rested a little bit, but I, I didn't feel, I, I didn't feel rested. It, you know, I was a little bit disquieted, and I was like, for some reason, I feel like I, I got to do this. I don't know if I'll ever do this again. I got to climb and scramble up the the next 500 feet, and so I do so. All hands, you know, and feet uh, going up and doing that. A couple things that I discovered once I reached the top. One um, is that there was a palpable quiet. Was at 12,500 feet, had never experienced that before, and um, it, was, it, was al- it was almost an audible quietness. I, I know that sounds weird, but it was tangible. I mean, I could, could feel it. It was different from anything else I've experienced since then in my life. The second thing is, is that this is, this is what the Holy Spirit, I, I think, reminded me of. And I, I'm not saying that God spoke to me, and that's, that's not something I've experienced, but But I think what Jesus said was going to be true for the disciples, he said the Holy Spirit, the advocate, he's going to remind you of what I've taught you and how you're supposed to teach and share with with Jesus. I I think I had that moment in that still and quiet place where I was reminded of the fact that, that when we choose to walk with Jesus... The walk, walk the way that he walked, talk the way that he talked. Then when we go as far as he goes, th- that's when we actually finally experience what he's promised us. Because I'd stopped 500 feet short. And I thought, man, the view is good enough from here. The experience is good enough from here. I'm tired enough that, I, yeah, I've got energy to go, but why bother? You know, there's the return trip and that's fine. And yet 500 feet more made the difference between me experiencing the peace that I needed to discover at the end of a two-year-long journey that otherwise I hadn't up to that point. See, I think, I think all of us can make a long list of moments where we've stopped just short of experiencing and feeling peace because maybe um, we went to war with a person when the real problem was... It was just an idea that we disagreed with. Or maybe uh, we avoided a conflict that we should have dealt with a long time, but selfishly, like we, we just wanted an absence of conflict, and that led to irreparable damage. Maybe we've been the cause of some disharmony and disunity that we've never actually maybe made an apology for or, or, or dealt with. And, and the list could continue to go on, and we could keep going. But as you and I repent... 
And as we pursue holiness through peacemaking, and as we seek to allow God's image to shine in our life, and as we pray and as we read God's word, Jesus' promise for us as his followers is for us to experience peace through his Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit counsels us and advocates for us as we live like Jesus and show him to others through peacemaking. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do this week. Just to ask yourself if there's a place in your life in which you feel unsettled, you're not feeling peace, and it's like, well, feel free to feel peace. You know, this isn't connecting with me. Here's, here's three things that I want you to uh, ask yourself this week. If you're feeling unsettled about something or not at peace with something, uh, I want you to ask yourself first, what is true about the peace that Jesus gives? What's the, what's the truth about this? What do I really believe about this? Do I believe that Jesus gives, not like the world does, but gives something permanent, gives something real that is sustained by him through God's power, through the Holy Spirit, that I'm a child of God, that I am made whole and complete by what he's done for me on the cross? What truth do you need to be reminded of before you deal with the thing that not, you're not at peace with in your life? If there's something that's unresolved in your life, uh, I want you to ask yourself, where am I stopping short in peacemaking? Not where the other person is stopping short in making peace with you. I would have loved that Jesus say, blessed are the people who make peace with you because it makes you feel better and life is easier that way. Like if I could change it. No, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. So where are you stopping short? Is there 500 feet more for you to go on the mountain or walk along the road or climb the hill? Is there conflict that you've been avoiding that you could go the extra 500 feet or the extra mile and deal with? Here's the third thing. I want you to ask yourself very honestly, what peace am I seeking that I cannot control that I can finally give her to God? Because let me tell you, you can, you can make every effort to be at peace with everyone, but it's, it's not going to happen on their end all the time. You, th- you think maybe like having the title of pastor would make it a little bit easier, you know, oh, I'm trying to be a P, you know, with it. No, it did, <laughs> that doesn't even help. You're not going to be able to be at peace with everyone all the time, and it's because you can't control the other person. But you can deal with how God is interacting in your life and what control you've given over to him. The pinnacle of a broken world, the evidence is the fact that we can't repair everything. We can't deal with the brokenness in nature. We can't deal with the brokenness in our human relationships. We can't deal with the brokenness in our relationship with God on our own. And that leaves disquiet. And it makes us feel like we're not free to have peace. But you and I can feel, to ha- feel free to have peace because the creator of peace makes us whole. And he does that spiritually for us through Jesus. That's how we experience peace. That's how we're able to share it. That's how we're able to be peacemakers in this life. And if it's a peace that you've never experienced, it's something you've never pursued, if you never said, hey, I'm ready to start following Jesus, so maybe I can pursue this and experience this in my life, I would love, I would love to have that conversation with you. I'd love to talk with you in the lobby after, after service and talk about what that looks like. 
So I'd love for you to think about that and consider that and pray about that as we uh, take communion together, which is something we do every week. And it's this point where we remember that God, even though he didn't have to, decides to take care of our conflict with him in our sin and deal with both ends of the equation. He's the one who brings the peace offering, even though we're the ones who cause the problem. There's this really fancy P word that's used to describe what Jesus does that calls him a peace offering. It's it's propitiation, which is a fun word. You put it on a t-shirt. And it simply means a gift that makes glad. And and God doesn't look at us and say, well, you better find something that you can give to me that's going to make everything better. He says, you know what? I've got just the thing, and it's Jesus, and I'm going to send him, and he's going to die, and he's going to resurrect, and he's going to prepare a place for you so that not only you can be empowered to experience peace, but that you can be empowered to make peace alongside of him with the Holy Spirit in you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, this moment where we can stop and be reminded of the peace that you give us. God, we ask you for the strength to pursue peace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.